welcome back to the podcast. Uh, last week we were listening to Professor Jacqueline Gray from Alpha Crucis, uh, Professor of Biblical Studies. And we've been diving into the area of women in ministry as part of our series of courageous women and the idea to affirm women in in what they're doing. But also, this is not just a podcast for, for the ladies. It's for the guys as well, for all of us to understand the importance of God's creation making male and female and his image being expressed fully in the church. And so I hope that you will enjoy today as we just uh, press forward and dive into the world of the New Testament of Jesus and Paul and Acts as we start to uh, unpack the idea of the role of women in the early church. Jackie, thanks again. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be with you. Fantastic. Um, Jackie, last time we just talked in general and we we dived into some big concepts there in the Old Testament of the image of God and some of the the ways that God expressed himself and finished so beautifully talking about uh, God uh, being neither male nor female, but his creation expressing who he is. Um, As we jump into the New Testament, uh, we see the role of women in the ministry of Jesus. Many of us can kind of just read past that and not realize actually how radical that was and how different that was to his day. Uh, there are so many stories, both in Jesus using women in his stories. Um, for example, the women in the lost coin in Luke 15 and others, um, but also a rela- the way he related to women and the way women followed him as part of his disciples. So just un- unpack some of that for us and, and, and how Jesus was with women. I, I, I don't think that we fully understand or appreciate today just how radical Jesus was, particularly in his interaction with women, his value of women, his honouring of women. Uh, As you mentioned, he uses uh, women as the characters in the stories and the parables that that he shares. Some women would never have even heard themselves being uh, referred to as starring in a story Uh, that would have been totally new to them. We see that Jesus uh, had uh, women who travelled with him. Uh, Obviously, he had the 12 disciples and and they play an, an important role, but he also had many women that travelled with him, and they're actually funded. Uh, his ministry was funded by by women. So, uh, in, in Luke chapter eight, there's various different women, including Mary Magdalene, um, who was not a prostitute. Just <laughs> let me make that clear. So Jesus was not funded by prostitution. Um, we see that she was a businesswoman, uh, and so we see that there were various different women who supported Jesus financially, as well as travel with them. Um, We see that Jesus speaks with women who normally uh, a a Jewish man and a rabbi would not dare to be seen with or talked to, like the woman of, of, of Samaria in, in, in John, um, the book of John. And so we see he Jesus has quite a, a meaningful conversation with a woman who was even rejected by her own town, the women in her own town particularly. Uh, and so there's so many different ways that we see Jesus just behaving and demonstrating great uh, love and respect for women and, and behaving in a very countercultural way. And of course, then we have even at the resurrection uh, that Jesus is 
um, reveals himself to, to women. So the first announcers of the gospel were women, even though women could not actually testify. Uh, they were not considered valid witnesses in a court of law, and yet Jesus reveals himself to women, and they are the first witnesses to, to the gospel. Uh, so we see in just so many different ways how honouring Jesus was of, of women. Can I ask you, Jackie, what, what's the most moving story or the, the thing that's captured your heart as you've read the Gospels and you've read the life of Jesus and his interaction with women? What What's captured your heart? One of the stories that really moves me every time is, is this actually the story of Mary and Martha, uh, how Jesus encouraged Mary to learn uh, to sit at his feet with, with the men and to be a disciple and to learn of him. That just would have been mind-blowing uh, to, to Mary and to, you know, to have never had that opportunity before. So as, as I mentioned previously, there's no rabbi, uh, there's no record of any rabbi ever allowing a woman to, to learn until Jesus. And so Jesus encourages Mary. He sees that hunger in her to, to know more and to to learn, and, and he encourages her in that. Um, and, of course, you know, Martha's upset because uh, she should be helping. Um, there's all these people to feed and uh, show hospitality to, and that was the expectation, the cultural expectation of, of women, and yet Jesus breaks that cultural expectation and, and says, actually, no, she's doing the right thing. She's she's learning. Um, and so that story speaks to my heart very much because I guess in a similar, I had a thirst of, to, to know more and to know the Bible and um, to be encouraged in that and know that uh, Jesus encouraged Mary to learn from him and encourages women today to continue to, to learn from him and to learn from his word, I think is, is incredibly um, a beautiful invitation. Powerful, very powerful. I remember I was doing a Discovery um, Bible studies, series of Discovery Bible studies with um, some Muslims that have come, that came out from their country. And um, my wife and I were sitting down with them weekly and we, we would go to meet with them in their homes and um, just um, have the scripture prepared. And then one, one time we turned up and they, they totally, um, we had our little scripture prepared and they said, oh, we want to watch a movie. And we, we, our hearts sank and we went, a movie? Oh, no. Okay. We're there to study the scriptures and help them, lead them towards Christ, you know, and and with a discovery Bible study. But they, they put on this movie from their home country and it was about a woman uh, being um, set up by her husband with a false accusation of adultery. And the whole movie was, it went for about an hour, an hour and a half uh, was this unjust situation and the final scene was she was buried up to her neck and stoned by the whole village and it was very graphic it was very cin- cinematography was well done and so it was it was kind of stunning in a negative way and we're just sitting there gutted at the end of this movie and uh, I didn't know where to go and suddenly I said there's this story in the book of John of a lady being brought before Jesus. Would you like to read that? And they looked at me and they said, yeah. 
And and we we sat and I'm I'm really no good at addresses, right? Knowing the addresses, but somehow I just went to John chapter eight, and it was the story of the the woman being brought before Jesus, caught in adultery, and and we just read it together, and we just sat there and tears flowed, and they said, "Wow, this Jesus is so different, mm. yeah," and Absolutely. and just. That that was the point for them to follow Jesus. That was the that was the thing that shifted them to become Christ followers. And for us, it was we had all our little ways prepared, but God used a woman in the Word, <laughs> and the contrast and compare. Here's our culture, and here's what what Jesus was like. Absolutely powerful. Just yeah. so yeah, I get moved just even thinking about it um, today. Yeah. An amazing story, yeah. As we look at the roles of women, um, we see in the New Testament they were so prominent, um, uh, apostle to the apostles announcing the resurrection. You know, they were they were just so you know, uh, enmeshed in the story and, and quite powerful stories, as you just said, of, of Martha and Mary and... Uh, but let's let's jump now further into Acts and and the letters of Paul and and uh, we see numbers of women popping out in Scripture and um, I just wonder if you want to give us some reflections out of any of those and and um, some some reflections of the role of the women in the early church. Yeah, so we see uh, in in the book of Acts uh, as the it's, it's interesting. Luke likes to use um, pairs, and so often there's women um, paired with men, women um, in 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 the Lucan stories uh, as they go out and as they uh, as the gospel is is taken out um, by the the first um, first believers and, and and the early church, and so we see a whole lot of women doing all sorts of activities, and uh, sometimes we we miss. Uh, miss it in the, in the detail in it, but uh, as the the gospel goes out, we see um, we see Paul in particular uh, being uh, a, an important figure who t- who's um, preaching around the place. But he encounters different couples. So, for example, he encounters um, Priscilla and Aquila uh, as part of his journeys, and they uh, become important people who um, who then train others. Uh, and we see that it seems that Priscilla was actually probably the more prominent of the, the two. Either she was a kind of a higher status person out of the couple or she had a more prominent role in, in the church. And, and most likely it's actually that second one, that she actually had a more prominent role uh, in teaching, particularly of, of Apollos. Uh, and so we see that most of the time when they're mentioned, it refers to Priscilla first and then Aquila. Uh, and so in I guess sort of recognising her uh, prominent role out of the, the the two of them in in, in ministry, uh, and Priscilla had and, and Aquila had had a teaching ministry, uh, and they were um, in different locations. They were in Ephesus for quite a while, uh, which becomes important because then later, when we have that passage about uh, women not teaching, it was actually in Ephesus that that Timothy was located, that Paul's writing. And yet Priscilla um, and Aquila had been teachers in, in Ephesus. So, um, you know, sort of being able to read these different letters of Paul in the context of the the story of the early church in Acts, I think is really important to help kind of understand then uh, and put it in a bit of a 
broader context of what may be going on. Uh, and so we have uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. We've got Lydia. Um, that's another story that I love. Uh, I, I love. I love the fact that Paul sort of has this vision of a man in Macedonia kind of calling him over and he gets there and it's a bunch of women. You know? <laughs> I, I, I sometimes wonder if Paul knew that it was actually just a bunch of women there, would he have gone? Um, <laughs> that. It was only he has this vision, but the reality is different to the vision uh, that that he had. Uh, so he gets there, and there's it's you know some women. Um, this is in Philippi. Yeah, you know? in Philippi. So Lydia, yeah, becomes the um, you know the the leader of the, the church there, and um, you know that's more than just sort of supplying the the biscuits after the Bible study. It was was an important role in in that a, a leader had in. Um, hosting a church. Mm. And, of course, these are all house churches, so uh, she has um, quite a significant role there in, in Philippi. Um, yeah, so so many different different women that, um, you know, Paul encounters and and God is using uh, in in the early church again to see the uh, to see the the gospel spread uh, throughout the earth, and so um, we have some different significant women there, and 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 Paul encourages them uh, in the various ministries that they have. So he refers to them as servants. He referred the same way that he refers to himself. Um, he refers to them as fellow workers and, and he greets them in the different letters and he uh, encourages them in his different writings. So, for example, in, in Romans 6, uh, 16, sorry, so he greets, he actually greets um, Craig Keener points out that uh, he greets twice as many men as women, but he commends twice as many women as men. Hmm. Uh, if you want me to say that again, so he, he greets, he greets, says hello, you know, greeting um, twice as many as men as women, but he commends the ministry um, of twice as many women as he does the men. And we have all different, we've got Phoebe that he refers to. Um, we've got Priscilla as, as well as her husband, Aquila. We've got Mary. He's referring to Junia, the apostle. So we have a female apostle that Paul commends and, and so many different women that he's commending to, to the church in Rome and, and, and wanting to encourage. And so uh, Paul certainly uh, was an advocate for women and the empowerment of women. Um, but the, that empowerment, again, it, it wasn't just for the sake of female liberation as a gender mm. you know, kind of you know, item. It was for the church. Paul's heart all throughout this is that the church will grow, that the gospel will be proclaimed. Uh, and he saw women as being important part of that, of the growth of the church and the ministry and the health of the church. Uh, and so he encourages women. And in fact, um, Phoebe is commended because, you know, she becomes the, the letter, um, you know, the letter bearer uh, of, of the church. Uh, and of course, as the letter bearer, she has to teach. She has to explain what might be um not understood by the recipients of the letter, and so she has an important teaching role, um, you know, as in, in as part of that. And so, uh, and Paul entrusted her with that. Uh, so we see that there's, you know, certainly a whole lot of women that are active in the early church that that Paul encourages and considers his co-workers. So that's that's just amazing. As you start to paint the picture, you. 
we really see uh, scattered through the New Testament names of women um, that are um, that affirmed in very numbers of roles in ministry, but it wasn't that they were hung up of who could do what. It just was. It just painted a picture. As we start to look at it, we see uh, women uh, both uh, as multipliers of the gospel, able to teach. Um, Priscilla um, was then able, Priscilla and with her husband Aquila, uh, pour into Apollos as they were in Ephesus and send Apollos back to Corinth to strengthen the church. Um, um, we see mentions in the book of Philippians, uh, two of his uh, co-workers that have labored side by side, Yodia and Sintiki, um, are both uh, women, obviously having some disagreement, some fight, and he's, he's saying, hey, I want you to get on. Um, and uh, maybe it's uh, he's writing maybe to Luke or someone there so to help these women who have labored side by side to 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 together with Clement to get on together and move on um and there's just so many stories um there's like Nympha in in the book of Colossi Colossi who was the church in 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 her house and and um obviously women leading churches Phoebe is just a fascinating study on um uh this 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 benefactor who was obviously uh, a church leader that then carried the letter of Rome uh, uh, from Paul to the to Rome, so she is quite significant. Um, and um, that, that, do you want to just make a comment on any translation bias that we've had in our in our scriptures? Because sometimes, you know, we've got the idea of junior being a um, an apostle. I mean, that's 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 kicks the ball right out of the, the field for some people. That's like, really? A woman apostle? Um, first, what's your reflections on that? Do you think actually Paul really thought Junior was an apostle? Second, uh, we see that the name Junior and Junius being translated um, in different Bibles because maybe men didn't consider that was possible, that there would be a, a woman apostle. What are your thoughts on Junior in Romans 16? Hmm. So, I, I think definitely it's a, it's an example of um, of bias against women, or just just belief that a woman could be considered an an, an apostle. And, and uh, earlier copyists kind of fixing it for Paul, um, changing it so because they thought that it was not possible. But the earliest manuscripts that we have are, are, are very clear that it's a female. Uh, there's no reference to Junior being a, a male name. There was sort of um, – the, there is, a, um, I think, a, a, a male name, but it's in a different language. I think it's a Roman name that – um, some have suggested could have been a shortened version of, of, of Junior. So like, you know, rather than David, it's Dave, but um, that's been discredited. So it's very clear that um, it, Junior is a, is a female and that Paul is greeting her as, as an apostle and commending her to the, to the churches as an apostle. Um, and so, you know, here we have, I guess, in, even in the kind of the, the list of giftings and, and, and roles in the church that Paul notes, the apostle is first. Um, apostle, you know, then we've got uh, prophets, teachers, you know, so uh, Paul, you know, she's sort of a, a really important figure in the, the early church. 
um, we don't really know anything else about her, but the fact that Paul um, is commending her in, in Romans 16 is is really important. Um, and we, we do see there is, um, you know, translations, um, I know translations are interpretations. I think sometimes mm. we, we forget that when we're reading it and as though this is what uh, the, the original Bible says when actually it, it's, it is a translation. Um, and so it means that from the, the Koine Greek that sometimes when it's uh, translated into, into English, uh, for example, that it's not always reflective of um, what was actually going on. And so an example of that is in the discussion of um, deacons in, in, in Timothy. So, um, you know, there's very much uses the male language when actually um, quite a bit of that discussion uh, in, in the original language is, is actually non-gendered, like so it's not referring to sort of to a male leader, but yet our English translations um, make it a male leader uh, in there. So sometimes that then means that, um, I know in some church groups they've said, oh, look, here in the Bible it's clear that an elder is male, therefore um, we can't have female elders. And so that, you know, but it's actually a, a translation bias rather than um, reflecting, you know, the English doesn't reflect adequately uh, the original language. So uh, so that means that it's, I guess it, it's important for each of us to uh, be looking in a digging digging a bit deeper, scratching beyond the surface um, and being able to um, do, some, do some study for, for ourselves to, to see what's going on there. And there's some great resources to help with that. So Craig Keener if, uh, has some great writings. There's some good websites. So, um, you know, I guess being aware that uh, sometimes the, the scriptures as they're translated are actually um, have a bias to them and they're interpreting what's going on, not just kind of objectively word for word uh, giving a, a, a direct sort of you know, translation. So, Wow. Wow, Jackie. So, so we see uh, in, your last, in the last podcast you referred to Acts chapter 2, God pouring out his spirit on all flesh that men and women prophesy, which to speak God's word. We see uh, so many roles in the New Testament of women from pastors, uh, leaders of churches, uh, teaching other people, uh, a vibrant, rich picture of women in ministry and women involved in the fabric of the church. We even see the idea of an apostle being mentioned as a woman, which I think uh, is just uh, just it's not even blinked at in the New Testament. It's not even thought that this would be controversial. But for us, as we sit today, we go, "Wow, that's that's amazing." But let's let's let me be the devil's advocate and jump into the curly scriptures. What about the other scriptures? Yeah, you know, we've yes. we've got this problematic. Um, there, therefore, if this was what was happening, suddenly we jump into the book of one Corinthians. And statements like this, I'll read it to you. The women should keep silent in churches. They're not allowed to speak. Should should be in submission, as the law says. Is there any if they if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands. Because uh, you know we know the husbands know everything. <laughs> as far as shameful, it says here in one Corinthians fourteen for a woman to speak in church. 
Um, I'll just jump jump into some others uh, scriptures out of there. I want to bounce some of these off you because these are some of our real barriers um, uh, there. Um, the, the 1 Corinthians 11 scripture of the, the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is Lord. So is that, does that mean a woman submits to a husband and the husband submits to Christ? And, and then, um, you know, uh, every, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, her husband, in the same way as if her head were shaven. And we've got this kind of discourse that they should have their head covered and that the man was the symbol of authority over over women and just that that discourse um there um let's let's just can you draw us into that world of scripture especially for 1 Corinthians after that we'll jump into the 1 Timothy passages because these are real struggles they are and and I think that from the outset we've got to read these in light of all that we've been discussing of the vibrant ministry and and active leadership of women in the early church but obviously there were problems in the early church and Paul is trying to address them and in fact in 1 Corinthians 11 he's responding to questions that the Corinthian church have asked him either in a letter or through um, kind of word of, of word of mouth and so he's trying to answer the question um, the problem is that we don't exactly know what question he was trying to answer so we have to piece it together but um, Paul throughout this section in 1 Corinthians 11 and 14 is talking about order in the church so he's he's wanting to make sure that the churches are functioning well that the you know the gatherings are healthy and so he addresses this issue of you know, of, of headship that's in and, and, and head coverings that comes up but I want to note that he says when every uh, wife or woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered. So from the outset, women are speaking in church. They're praying, they're prophesying. So when we get to 1 Corinthians 14 and he says women should keep silent, um, it's like, well, hang on, they're praying. They're already prophesying. So there's obviously something else that he's wanting to talk about there. So it's, women are not silent in the churches. Um, so what is it? that he's trying to instruct them about in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, But jumping back to 1 Corinthians 11, we see that um, it seems what's going on in in the Corinthian church is that uh, there are some women who are, realizing their uh, full liberation in Christ and the throwing off all of the cultural markers that um, were important in their society, uh, particularly head coverings. And so, uh, however, a woman not to wear a head covering seemed to be very culturally uh, scandalous because uh, it was like she was advertising that she was a promiscuous woman is is what we understand was going on at that time and so Paul essentially in this argument is trying to get women to cover to put the head coverings back on for the sake of the gospel um, and so he uses this sort of argument um, and about sort of different head and headship and um, different things and I won't go into that because that will take forever to to unpack but um, the important thing to note is that women are participating in the church, um, but Paul's emphasis is that the gospel not be led in, to be put into disrepute by the behaviour of the women. And so he essentially asked the women to put their head coverings back on um, so that way that they will not bring disrepute to the gospel. Um, 
And then when we move to 1 Corinthians 14, uh, he's saying women should keep silent in the church. So again, we've noted that they're already speaking in the church, they're ministering, they're participating. So why would Paul ask the women to be silent. And, and what we understand is going on is that, uh, so as I mentioned in the earlier podcast, um, women did not receive an education beyond sort of 13, 14 years of old, years of age. And so they didn't know how to be a student. They didn't know the rules. Uh, and, and the rules around education at that time, we've got a lot of different writings from the Greco-Roman world, um, talk about how questions were encouraged by students as long as they were good questions. Um, when I was living in Turkey, I remember um, I wasn't preaching and a, a, a co-worker was preaching and uh, a woman came in uh, to the, the church. Her husband had been coming for a while and um, she, the, the preacher started talking and she put up her hand and she went, who's Paul? Because he was talking about <laughs> Paul in, in Acts and she didn't know who Paul was. And then they then had to explain who Paul was. And, and, and in a sense, this is the kind of thing that Paul that well Paul here in 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about. Don't ask basic questions, um, as any student will know, as in all the men will know, because they've been students, but the women haven't been students, so they don't know the rules uh, around learning. Don't ask silly questions or simple questions. If you don't know women, don't ask, don't interrupt. Instead, ask your husband at home Um because you're bringing shame on the church because you're asking these silly questions or questions that are basic that you know that shouldn't be asked in 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 this setting any any student should know that and so it seems to be this is the sort of situation that's going on um, in the Corinthian church and so women are participating in church the problem is the questions that they're asking and the type of questions that they're asking and so Paul wants order in the church he wants he wants women to learn so he's actually saying to them he's not saying don't ask questions he's saying ask questions but ask the right questions and if you if you've got a silly question ask your husband at home um don't interrupt you know don't bring shame by being a bad student essentially in there and so then um in that context as well, then we have to then think about 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, where um, Paul talks about and, and gives the instruction to Timothy to, um, you know, let a woman, let a woman learn uh, quietly uh, and in submission. So again, Paul is encouraging women to learn. Uh, but then he talks about how he doesn't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but rather to, to remain quiet. Uh, and again, we've got to understand what's going on in the church at this time. So let's um, sort of put it in the big picture. Remember, we've already seen this. Is, so this is this is to the Timothy's pastor in the church in Ephesus. We know already that Priscilla has been teaching uh, Apollos in Ephesus. So there's women has been there's a history of women teaching uh, that was previously, and now um, the church, you know, sort of she's moved on, and then the, the churches. Um, moved as churches sort of in a number of years have progressed and now Timothy's there now. Um, And what we understand is going on is that there were false teachers and and, and Paul talks about the false teachers. So there's plenty of men, (laughs) false teachers that he also addresses in this, uh, in this letter. Um, There's been false teachers who are targeting women. And again, because women 
uh, did not receive an education, they they were easily tricked uh, into believing some of the the false teaching that um, these men were these these false teachers were targeting them with, and so uh, and that seems to be a big problem in in Ephesus at that time. So to the men, Paul's actually a bit harsh. He tells them, you know, not to come back. Uh, but the women can stay uh, as long as they learn uh, and they're willing to learn uh, and that they don't try and teach the, this false doctrine that they've heard and are passing on, uh, but that they actually learn quietly um, in submissiveness, which any student, uh, that's the, that's the uh, posture of all students uh, at that time. But Paul says, I, I don't permit a woman to, to teach. And um, so we see that he seems to be putting a, we, and what, well, I would view it as a, probably a temporary embargo on women teaching because they're teaching wrong doctrine. They're teaching this false doctrine that they've, they've heard uh, from these false teachers. And so they're not allowed to teach because they'll be teaching the wrong thing. Instead, they're to learn. Um, and there to, uh, in a sense, take on the posture of, of a student. And the reason why I, I understand that to be is because in verse 13, um, Paul talks about Adam and Eve, and that um, in verse 14, that the woman was deceived. And so it seems to be that what Paul, and, and, and Paul uses Eve as, as an example several times, and it's always um, to do, uh, when he use, uses it in this way, it's always to do with um, being uh, easily deceived. So it's not that. Um, so he's not addressing, in a sense, women generically, but he's addressing women using the, the example of Eve as um, he's, he's addressing people who are easily deceived. Um, and so he's not wanting uh, those that are easily to deceived uh, to be teaching. Uh, he wants them to mm. learn. Uh, he wants them to take on the posture of a student. Uh, it may be in the future that they, once they have learned and have learned um, you know, the, the right teaching, maybe they'll be allowed to, to teach. Um, but while they are um, propagating wrong doctrine, while they're propagating this false teaching, uh, they're not allowed to teach. And so uh, I think that it's what we would call it's a particular situation um, that Paul is instructing Timothy to, in, in how, in, in, in giving him instruction in how to deal with this um, situation. Um, and so, yeah, so he's trying to ensure that the women are, are not um, propagating false doctrine. Um, and we don't know if it's what they're teaching or how they're teaching. So that whole uh, line in verse 12, I do not put, permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man, uh, over a man. That I mean, that word authority there is not used in the New Testament at all. And it's a really rare word. And so you know, scholars debate even what it means or how to translate that that line, uh, whether it's she's exercising, you know, sort of overbearing, you know, uh, the bossy woman idea comes out um, there. If she's sort of been overbearing in her sort of exercising and teaching and authority, or if it's just not, you know, or something to do with the doctrine that she's teaching, there's a lot of debate around that. But I think at the heart of it, it's about, again, Paul 
wanting to ensure that the, the church flourishes. And the church can't flourish if there's false teaching. And these women are easily deceived because they've never learned um, how to, you know, sort of how to think, how to, they've never learned, had education. Uh, and they've been easily deceived and they're propagating this false teaching. And so Paul wants that stopped. Um, and he wants instead the women to learn. And I think that's the heart of what's going on in this passage. Mm, it's interesting that word in, in 1 Timothy 12 to exercise authority over a man, which has been used very strongly to not allow women to lead, especially you shouldn't lead over man. But that word authority uh, to underline that is not you is the only singular use in the New Testament of that Greek word. While the, all the other words of authority, which are there's plentiful words, uh, use a different word of authority. Jesus had authority, which uh, which everybody was amazed of uh, at, and different words of authority. But there's never this word, and this to I don't permit a woman to exercise this particular word to dominate. I'm not sure uh, exactly what it means, um, but having read some of it, it's really a particular command to a particular situation and and it seems as we read these scriptures and we try and put a global application to them we fall short rather than realizing that there are specific problems are being addressed here with particular commands and uh, doing a particular situation that's um that's helpful for us because as we look at the general witness of the New Testament, the general witness of women and their roles, we see, and then we run into some of these scriptural barriers where we're left floundering sometimes and not knowing how to respond. And then, and, and, yeah, very, very helpful. Thank you so much, Jackie. So how does that land for us today? Uh, what, what are some of your reflections of, of women in ministry with an Aussie culture in particular, Western cultural settings? What, is, what are some of our current challenges and also some of your ideas and answers? So I, I think that um, for, for many women, once they, if they, they're grappling, and, and for men as well, you know, if we're grappling over what the Bible says about, about ministry and um, putting it into perspective, so I think we sort of highlight this one, you know, these two two verses um, in 1 Corinthians 14 and, and, and 1 Timothy 2, and we sort of make that the big deal, and, and then we don't put it in its context of, of, you know, the particularity of the church, and then we kind of just disregard all of the other aspects of, um, you know, sort of Paul's uh, encouragement to, to women and, and releasing of women in, in ministry, and I think when we get a hold of that and we begin to see that, wow, God's God's heart is that women and men are, are released into ministry uh, and that they, um, you know, are, are really functioning to the, to the fullness of their capacity and that they're empowered by the Spirit to, to do that. I think when we get a hold of that, then it radically changes our our view of, of ministry as well. And I think for many women, they then begin to have a confidence. Uh, and so I think that um, I know. I, I hope, a, a, as a result of, of our discussion, that you know, women who have lacked confidence in what the Bible says uh, will be encouraged and will be able to, you know, really move boldly and, and confidently uh, in in their ministry. And, and, and I think that is a, and a real challenge for for women um, in Australia and and. Um, in non-Western cultures as well, to, to really have confidence uh, that 
they are called, that they, uh, you know, that they are empowered by the Spirit, that they are valid as as leaders and, and ministries. And I think then, when there's that confidence, then some of the practicalities can, and the, and the challenges of the practicalities of you know whether you've got kids or you know you've got babies and how to manage that in, in ministry and and some of these other different practical challenges I, I think they can easily be worked out with some creative thinking for each person in each situation but I think when there's a sense of confidence that yes um, you know the Bible isn't telling me to just to you know be silent um, forever. Um, you know, I think these other things can can be worked out. But when we have that confidence that you know, God's calling us to speak up and to be courageous and to be bold and to be, uh, you know, we're fully validated as, as a minister of the gospel, then, um, you know, that changes everything for, for women and, and for men. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Jackie. I really have appreciated unpacking some of these things with you and just exploring some ideas and and uh, affirming the, the, the role of women. Um, there's so much more we could pursue, like the ideas of what happened in the few hundred years after this time of Acts and mm. the role of women in the early church and the, the radical place that they had and the attraction that they had to... Um, um, to 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 fully be used by God. There's so so many powerful stories, and, and also some of the early martyrs were young women. Yes, um, yes. Uh, for standing for Christ, and amazing amazing stories there. Um, but yes, all the things must come to an end, and so must this podcast. So, uh, Jackie, I just. I, again, why don't you just finish us off and just uh, with a word of encouragement or speak to those who are listening to this in whichever way you want out of your heart. Thank you. So the, your theme is Courageous Women, and, and so I just want to finish with a brief reflection on, on Joshua 1 when uh, Joshua takes over the, you know, the, or tries to fill the enormous shoes of, of, of Moses and yet uh, it could have been incredibly overwhelming and often for women uh, stepping into unfamiliar territory or and, and filling roles where uh, we haven't seen a woman function in that in that role or leadership before c- can be really overwhelming. Uh, but as God encourages Joshua, I want to encourage the, the listeners to men and women to be bold, to be courageous uh, and to, to boldly step into uh, the, the ministry and, and the calling and in a sense the new territory uh, that God has for them. And so my prayer is that you will be strengthened and encouraged and that you will be courageous as you move into the calling and the territory that God has set before you. 